How we see ourselves, our self-image, has an enormous impact on our mental health and well-being, how we function in our relationships, even what sort of goals we set for ourselves. Often we believe that achieving those goals will improve our self-image and make us feel better about ourselves. Interestingly, it usually happens the other way around. All right. All right, everyone, take your seats or lace up your sneaks. We're about to get started. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel, and in this show, we talk about what it takes to create healthier mindsets and habits in our own lives, as well as how we can create healthier communities and workplaces. Whether you're working on your own health and well-being or promoting healthy behaviors is your job, we're going to talk about what works, what's hard, what's needed, and what's next. Okay, I want to get started with a couple of definitions. Self-esteem and self-image are two closely related concepts, and we often use those terms interchangeably. But there are some subtle distinctions. Self-esteem refers to how worthy we feel of love and respect. Self-image, on the other hand, refers to how we perceive ourselves and how we think others see us. And obviously, these two are often closely intertwined. We may believe that we need to look a certain way in order to be accepted or to succeed in our jobs or to attract a mate or in order to be lovable or even just visible. But our self-image is often very distorted. Others may barely notice so-called imperfections that are all we can see when we look in the mirror. But you know, the objective accuracy of our self-image isn't really the point here. And by the same token, we can also take steps to heal poor self-image without actually changing anything about the way we look, simply by examining our beliefs about how we should look. Not only can we take those steps, we absolutely need to take those steps in order to ensure our best growth and our best life. Joining me today to talk about all of this is Cassie Christopher, whom you know unless you're a very new listener, from several past episodes. Cassie is a registered dietitian, also a workplace wellness expert, a speaker, and a coach. And repairing body image is a big part of Cassie's work. In fact, she and I are teaming up to offer a special program this October focused exclusively on body image repair and resilience. And we'll have more details about that to share at the end of the episode. But Right now, let's get to my conversation with Cassie. Even if you yourself don't suffer from a poor body image, I guarantee that you know or you love or you serve someone who does. And this conversation can give you a lot of insight and compassion. Welcome back to the Change Academy, Cassie. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you. And A lot of the work that you do with your clients, and also lately as a guest teacher in other people's programs and podcasts, has to do specifically with what we're talking about today, body image. And I think a lot of people might think that the solution to a poor body image would be to improve the way that you look. But you say it actually needs to go the other way around. Why do we need to start with repairing our body image, even before we take steps maybe to 
improve the health of our bodies. Yeah. This is that classic tension between self-acceptance and self-improvement. Right. And we're in such a black and white culture where we think we either are in one bucket or the other. We either accept ourselves or we want to improve. But in reality, these two things go hand in hand and they fuel each other in a positive way if we let them. Or if we're so focused on self-improvement and we come from motivations that maybe are extrinsically focused, you know, things other people want for us rather than things we want for ourselves, well, we might not stay motivated for those improvements. So there's a delicate balance and attention here. Absolutely. And this touches on a theme that we've explored in previous episodes. I'm thinking specifically of our episode number 28. So that's going back in the catalog a little bit when we were talking about finding that balance of being able to accept yourself exactly as you are, even as you are identifying things that you might like to work on or improve. So yeah, that is not easily resolved. It it kind of follows us through our work. And by the way, I will put a link to that other episode in the show notes if anybody wants to go back and explore that. But I suspect that poor body image, body image problems is not a problem that is exclusive to women. And yet, in my experience, women do seem so much more likely to suffer from poor body image. I've got some ideas why that might be. I bet you do too. What's going on here? Yes. And you're right. This is not an issue that's exclusive to women. And I would love to hear your thoughts on it too. But what comes up for me when you say, you know, why are women struggling with body image? So I had a client who told me this story once that broke my heart and it stuck with me. And she said, when she was growing up, her she remembers overhearing her pediatrician tell her mom that the best way to help this woman care for herself as she grows, while she was a child at the time, was to keep her self-conscious about her body throughout Mm. her life. Mm. So this authority is telling the parents that the best way, now this was many years ago, it's not something I think a pediatrician would say today, hopefully, but that's a really great example of, you know, women are being made to be self-conscious about their bodies from a young age, whether it's directly or indirectly from, you know, cultural expectations and what we see on TV. And there's a, a huge body of research about the impact, the negative impacts of media in particular on uh, self-image and body image. And so this is a big issue. And, you know, it's it's something that a lot of people struggle with. It is. And I'd like to think we are making progress on many of these issues. But I think the fact remains that women and girls still do tend to be valued more for how they look and how they present themselves and less for the content of their brains and their accomplishments and their achievements. I do still perceive a certain gender gap. Um, culturally. And as much as we try to push back against that, I guess it's going to take many generations of concerted effort to to really do away with that imbalance between the genders. So, okay, for better or for worse, men absolutely do suffer from poor body image and the negative consequences. They are also impacted by media messages, but it does seem to affect women 
disproportionately. And I've, and this may be related. I've, I've heard you say that the way we form our self image is by comparing ourselves against some sort of cultural ideal, how our body size or our skin color, or our hair texture match that cultural ideal, however it's defined. And it seems to be defined as thin, white, and blonde. How did thin, white, and blonde get to be our cultural ideal when it is by far the minority of our population that would fit those characteristics? I would add young to your list yes, as of well. Course. Yes. And, you know, this is such an interesting topic that really has to do with following the power and following the money throughout time because this thin ideal as this thin, young, blonde, young, oh, I said young twice, woman <laughs> is, is termed. Uh, it has not been the ideal throughout the ages. So in different times, in different cultures, whoever was signifying power, who was signifying having money, that was the body that was most popular. So in classical times, you know, the Rubenesque paintings are these um, larger women who are very pale. And that's because they don't have to go out into the field and work. They stay in their drawing rooms and they eat and they have enough money to afford food. So that was the cultural ideal. Today, the cultural ideal is unfortunately inherently racist, classist, patriarchal, capitalist, like it's it's ableist. It is all of the ists because it is showing who has status, who has power, and that's the woman who can afford to go to the gym, uh, but not too often, and maybe has someone prepare meals for her, or she has money and access to food, you know, a certain type of food and a certain type of beauty regimen, a certain type of treatment, uh, Western European features on her face. And so, you know, I, I think it's important to recognize the system that is determining this beauty ideal because so many of us are comparing ourselves to the thin ideal without even realizing it. It's just what we do. And so when you realize the problems with that ideal, then you can take a step back and go, mm, do I want that for myself? Is that where I want to compare myself? Uh, I would like to opt out of that. I don't know about your listeners. Well, and I just want to point out that even if we do not currently have the power to completely change the system, and this was really the take-home message of the Barbie movie, right? Even if we can't change that system, being able to see the systematic forces at work on us is in itself extremely powerful because I like that terminology that you used, we can opt out, but not until we can clearly see what's going on. Thank you. Barbie. <laughs> well, it reminds me of Communications 101. I remember the the theme of that in college was you if you know the messaging that you're receiving via advertisements, via media, all of these things, then you can consciously decide whether you're going to act on it, whether you're going to integrate that into your life, mm -hmm. into your day. But if you are kind of mindlessly receiving this messaging, it's going to impact you. 
whether you're aware of it or not. So that awareness is actually really powerful. You're reminding me of a story. I was interviewing once a woman who had completed our Way Less program. She was talking about her time in the program. And we had spent some time in that program becoming more aware of the messages that we get about food and hunger that were surrounded with these cues to eat and trying to be more aware for exactly the reasons that you're explaining. And I remember she said, and she had this beautiful British accent, which I won't try to imitate, but she said, I was standing at the petrol station, filling up my car. And suddenly I had this urge, this craving for a burger and fries. Of course, she said chips. And she said, where did that come from? I wasn't hungry a minute ago. And then I realized that right in front of me on the gas tank was this big ad for um, some sort of meal deal. And she thought to herself like, well, I'll be damned if I'm going to let these advertisers decide when and what I'm going to eat. So again, just the consciousness of the messaging was enough for her to opt out. That is so cool. Now, I think we have all known women especially who might actually fit this cultural ideal that the current one anyway, that we've outlined thin, white, young, blonde, all the things who nonetheless suffer from extremely poor body image and all of the negative impact of that. Because of course, this isn't actually an objective reality, is it? It's an internal reality. And I think that's part of the reason why starting with focusing on changing how you look isn't necessarily going to fix that. It's true. It's so unfortunate and true that there is always some greater level of perfection or (laughs) worthiness or lovability or acceptance of yourself to reach. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're on that hamster wheel, you can, you can reach you know, the, the pinnacle of what you want. And yet it's still not enough. There's still one more goal to, to achieve. And this reminds me of Dr. Kristen Neff, who's really the, the godmother, if you will, of the mindfulness-based self-compassion movement. And she talks about the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion and where, you know, self-esteem is, a marker of health and happiness. But what's so interesting is as self-esteem went up over the recent decades in college students, so did narcissism. Hmm. And that's because fostering self-esteem often means that you have to constantly compare and feel superior to other people. So she argues for the solution to how we feel about ourselves being self-compassion, where we are accepting, we are kind, we're also mindful of both our strengths and our weaknesses in a uh, a neutral way, rather than self-esteem, where you have to feel maybe better than other people in order to feel good about yourself. And I really think it's that, you know, self-esteem, perfectionism, workaholism, there's always one more self-improvement culture, self-hustle culture, a hamster wheel, as I said earlier, that uh, that keep us feeling like we have to strive, that it's never enough. Exactly. And when any measure of our self-worth is based on a comparison, then we are always going to be able to find another object of comparison that we don't measure up to. So as you say, we'll never be done. We will never achieve a level of self-acceptance 
if it's all based on comparison. Yeah. And what I love about back to that hamster wheel analogy, which I cannot seem to get enough of in the past 60 seconds, um, <laughs> you can step off the hamster wheel. You, you know, you don't have to keep running in place. And, and that's what I think is really hopeful. And I know we're going to get into that later. Uh, that's the the hopeful message involved. But, you know, there are some costs uh, as well to not dealing with your poor self-image if you identify that as such. Yes, I want to get into that because I think by this point, everyone listening is probably thinking, okay, yeah, I I do identify with this issue, this problem. So what are the costs of actually not stepping off that hamster wheel, not opting out of this idea that we have to achieve this aspirational appearance in order to feel good about ourselves. You know, the big one I think of is one that I hear from from women in particular all the time is they do not want to pass this struggle down to the next generation, whether it be yes. their children, their nieces, their nephews, they've been so impacted and they don't want to keep perpetuating the issue. I hear that a lot too with the people that I work with. Like I want my daughters especially to have a healthier self-image and a healthier relationship to their bodies, to food, to to all of that. So yes, plus one on that. Well, and speaking to food, that's a really great point that research supports that people with poorer body image uh, may be at higher risk of eating disorders or just generally may struggle with making consistently healthy eating choices, whether that be a focus on restriction or a focus on overeating, it gets dicey. That relationship is is real. Right. Because if we have a very poor self-image, how invested are we in taking good care of ourselves? And I actually, now that I say taking good care, I know that that is actually sort of a mantra, a buzzword for you. We'll get back to that. But I also, just in the the list of of the costs, I also want to say that how we see ourselves really affects our our self-efficacy. And what I mean by that is our ability and our willingness to exercise self-care, to, to believe that we can be successful or that we deserve to be successful, however we may want to define that word, success. So there are some real consequences here. Yeah. And, and not to mention, and this will be the last one I hit on, which is our mental health, the idea that this constant self-criticism, which we may not even be aware of because it's just mm. feels normal uh, sometimes, or we've heard it from other people, we believe we deserve it, that this constant self-criticism leads to anxiety, depression, decreased quality of life. And these issues cannot be overstated. You know, uh, we are in a mental health epidemic, so it, it's important to be caring for ourselves with our body image. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that about the degree to which we may not really be aware of, even if we have an inkling, yeah, maybe my body image or my self-image is not as strong as it could be, we may still not be aware of how negatively it is impacting our quality of life. And Change Academy listeners know that Oh, I love an assessment. <laughs> and so Cassie and I, in preparing for this conversation, created an assessment for you to give you a little bit more insight into the degree to which your thoughts, your feelings about your appearance, your body, yourself 
may be impacting your life. So if you're resonating with the conversation we're having, with the things that we've talked about, or you're just kind of curious to know where you may fit in this scale, you'll find a link to that assessment in the show notes. You can just click through and um, and take it. It's just a few questions and we'll give you sort of an objective assessment of where you may fall on that spectrum. Yeah. I encourage everyone to go do this assessment because you may not realize that the messages both internally that you're you know, saying to yourself and externally that you're receiving from people around you, from culture, you may not realize how that is impacting your self-perception. Yeah. And because unfortunately, the culture we live in is pretty negative to our self-perception. So you might not even realize, oh, this question, you know, that that we're asking, mm-hmm. that that is indicative of something being not wrong necessarily, but problematic, certainly. So I encourage everyone to go do that and, and just get a better line of sight for your self-perception. It's going to help in the long run your ability to make healthy change and your mental health. Yes. And thank you, Cassie, for your help in, in helping me put that assessment together. Could not have done that without you. Really appreciate that. But now that we're finally talking about making healthier choices, let's pivot to what something better than a poor self-image could look like, what a healthy sense of self looks like and what it makes possible for us. You know, you start. I will. (laughs) Happily. Um, You know what you're reminding me of is a client of mine, Suzanne, who had this experience with herself. She was walking along and looking at her reflection in a building. And haven't we all done that? We've all done it. And of course, the thoughts are coming in, the critiquing thoughts. And while she's looking at herself and having negative thoughts, she has an almost out of body experience. It was it was so cool where she felt like her body said to her and, you know, nobody worry about her sanity. She is all right. Um, (laughs) She felt like her body said to her, I'm the only body that you're ever going to get. Mm. And that was a pivotal moment for her to wonder what it was like to treat herself, to treat her body like it was the only one she was ever going to have. And it had taken care of her so well up until that point. I think that is what a healthy, that's a turning point to develop Mm -hmm. a healthy sense of self. It's to realize that your body is a part of you and that you can accept it without objectifying yourself and allowing objectification from others. So A healthy sense of self really looks like seeing and accepting yourself as you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I'm working with clients, I do this by calming the nervous system first. And that's because when you're in a state of anxiety or panic, which can come from so many different places, whether that be maybe you have anxiety, maybe you have a panic disorder, maybe you have mental health issues, or maybe you have a history of trauma or just whatever is happening in your life at the moment feels out of control. And I think so many of us can relate to that. We may misplace the solution to our struggle as being fixing our body or changing our body or changing who we are. Mm -hmm. And so once we are calm, 
then we're able to really accept ourselves because we're not feeling that anxiety and that we need to change in order to even just feel good. So that's what one example of a healthy sense of self. Right. And I want to just underline a part of what you just described there. And I know that this comes out of your take good care model. And we'll include a link in the show notes to people that just want to learn a little bit more about how you do the work that you do, that you're sort of describing for us. But one of the things that you said there just caught my attention. And that is that we often, when we are uncomfortable, our impulse is to leap into action. How do I fix this, change this? What do I do to make myself feel better? And that so often what we really need to do is is stop first and acknowledge what we are feeling and recognize the the feelings, accept the feelings with curiosity, with compassion um, before we jump into action mode. Yes. Thank you for, for reinforcing that. How else would a healthy sense of self manifest? I really think to focus, and this is so hard for so many people, but to focus on celebrating or even just, I talk to my clients about feeling meh sometimes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> neutral about the ways in which we might be be different than the cultural ideal. Maybe we have a different nose, a different hair type, a different body type. And, you know, recognizing that we don't have to fit the cultural ideal in order to be worthy of love and acceptance from ourselves and from other people. And the way that I help my clients step into this is by using self-compassion, which is the second piece of the take good care model that you have mentioned. And I talked, I quoted Dr. Kristen Neff earlier, the the godmother of mindfulness-based self-compassion. And really self-compassion allows you to accept it helps with that seeing and accepting that I already mentioned, but also to be kind. And kind is recognizing that you're probably doing more than you give yourself credit for when it comes to mm-hmm. action. And, you know, you you can be different and still be good. And self-compassion is so helpful for that piece. Yes, I agree. And I also, what I hear in there is by recognizing just by noticing the ways we might and celebrating the ways that we might deviate from the cultural ideal is to acknowledge that there is a cultural ideal and that we don't necessarily need to ascribe to it or define ourselves in relationship to it. So again, it's the power of seeing, thank you, Barbie, the system that we are operating in and, and getting to make more conscious decisions about what we value, what's important to us, instead of just kind of absorbing those values from the cultural ethos. Yeah, which is number three, uh, the third pillar of the take good care model, listening to yourself and understanding your core values. And then, you know, taking action from those values where you are calm, you are kind, you are centered in what you care about. Now go take action because it's going to be the right action. It's going to be action that you feel motivated to take because it comes from you. And it's going to be sustainable because you're going to be able to learn from it. You know, you're going to be able to take experiments, go through the school of hard knocks and come out the other side. Right. I've heard you describe that as, you know, having a greater ability to just sort of absorb the slings and arrows that our culture is going to continue to throw at us. Right. We're not going to change this system or our culture overnight. But all of these steps that you're outlining and the work that we can do together to build a healthier body image and self-image 
makes us more resilient to that culture, even while we may be working to upgrade it, I'll say. (laughs) I like that. Yes. And I think, you know what, there's more energy for advocacy and there's more space in your brain for Uh, for making the world a better place when you're not constantly criticizing yourself and you know how to regulate your nervous system so you're not in a constant state of panic. Well, I I think we've given everybody a a lot to think about and some concrete steps that they might be able to start exploring for sort of getting a handle on this. But as I mentioned at the beginning before Cassie joined me, Cassie and I have been very hard at work over the last several weeks, couple of months now, developing a brand new program that we are really excited to be opening up. It's going to be happening in October, and we are going to be going much deeper into everything that we're talking about today, both the causes and the cures of these persistent body image issues. So this is all coming up in our Body Image Repair and Resilience Program. It's going to be a three-week experience that we are both going to be co-curating and co-leading. I'm so excited about it. And I hope that if our conversation today struck a, a nerve in you, a chord in you, that you will click through to read a little bit more about what we're going to be doing, how that will all unfold, what it all includes, and consider joining us. But Cassie, Thank you so much for bringing your your wisdom to the Change Academy once again. I'm so glad to have this conversation with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, and those of you who choose can continue this conversation with both me and Cassie in this new program that we're going to be offering. So look for a link to that in the show notes, along with links to everything else we talked about. If you didn't have a chance yet, you can jump over there and do your body image assessment. We'll have a link to Cassie's work. And of course, the information page for our new workshop. Thanks, Cassie. We'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy podcast with Monica Reinagel. Our show is produced by me, Brock Armstrong. You'll find links to everything Monica mentioned in today's episode in our show notes, as well as on our website at changeacademypodcast.com, where you can also send us an email or leave us a voicemail. If you're finding this podcast helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or even better, give our show a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. Or, best of all, share this episode with a friend or colleague you think would enjoy it. Now here's to the changes we choose.